Hello and welcome to Malanga Talk podcast. My name is Jerry Malanga and I'm joined with our fellow Dr. Josh Martin and we're here to give another educational talk for our future physicians. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so what are we going to talk about now, Josh? So we want to talk a little bit about the history of our field for physical medicine and rehabilitation. Um, there's some figures that have actually been pretty fun to read about that I didn't really have much knowledge about until started doing a little bit of reading. Um, so it's sort of uh, my usual flight of ideas somehow got us down a rabbit hole and we started talking <laughs> about history of uh, PM&R. Did you, did you know this gentleman or that guy? or or um, your book. So we can start with the premise of why bother? Who cares? Why bother learning about the history of PM&R? Why bother? Why would anybody even study history at all? What's the purpose of studying history at all? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that um, there's a famous line that those that do not remember or know history are doomed to repeat it right and so and in the history of mankind um, there are a lot of things that perhaps would be useful even in today's world if we kind of recollected and learned from the history of the past yeah so in any case uh, so we're gonna we're gonna learn about PMNR and the field of PMNR because I think there's some insightful things the other the reason why we often will learn about history, we learn about our family history, because you want to sort of have a tie into your roots, right? And those of us that belong to different religions, you learn about why you go to church or why you go to synagogue or why people say these prayers, because otherwise you don't know what the hell you're doing. And maybe there's a lot of people that don't know why they're doing things. And even in PM&R, maybe people don't know why we're doing things and maybe have zero understanding of why we even call it PMNR, right? Why is it physical medicine and rehabilitation? And even some interesting things of recent of this whole um, ultrasound, right? And the use of ultrasound. And why would PMNR specialists be people that would do ultrasound? Shouldn't that be a radiology? But if you go back to the history of the AIUM, the American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine, its roots are through physical medicine rehabilitation. So, all right. Yeah, so let's start. Let's start about, you know, why did, or what were the grassroots that had our field, our specialty develop? Yeah. So I think any discussion of PMNR would have to start with uh, Dr. Frank Cruzen. He's kind of considered the grandfather of our field. So he was a physician from Philadelphia. He originally became interested in medicine with his uh, training in surgery, and he first graduated uh, Jefferson Medical College, third in his class, so he's a pretty smart guy, and then he started a surgical residency. But and then, what year was this? This was in, uh, so in 1922 was when he was early in the surgical residency, and he contracted pulmonary tuberculosis, and that was... Um, pretty debilitating, and he spent five months in a tuberculosis sanitarium. And then he was very impressed with the use of sunbathing specifically for uh, TB therapy. And he really had this illness actually then redirect the course of the rest of his career because then he began studying the medical uses of light, heat, water, and other physical agents to help with healing. And so this is kind of the origins of why we have physical medicine as um, part of our field. 
So he was a very, very, you know, brilliant individual who then advanced pretty quickly through the medical field, kind of pursuing these interests. So when he was only 28 years old, he was appointed the associate dean of Temple's medical program. And under his leadership, the program flourished and he even served as the football team's uh, head physician, where he was uh, known for getting the athletes back to play safely much faster than anyone else. So he gained some renown from that. So just to pause there, um, you know, the world of sports medicine and sports medicine physician for many decades has been dominated by orthopedic surgery. And it, it was felt that the orthopedic surgeon would be the person that should be the team physician. And somehow that came to be. And yet, way back in the 1920s, we have a physical medicine specialist who was rose to become the team doctor or selected and was praised for his capabilities of getting athletes to return to play safely and in an efficient manner, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he then also pioneered uh, physical medicine research, realizing that there was the need for evidence-based medicine for establishing the science behind physical medicine. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A little bit of science and a little bit of evidence for what we do. And so then his reputation for hard work and medical excellence enabled him to uh, found the first Department of Rehabilitation. For, that's what's typically recognized at Temple uh, Hospital in 1928. So his program included both physical therapy as well as some inpatient rehabilitation. And he had very great success. So then William Mayo from... Uh, Mayo Clinic, one of the original founders, realized that this was a guy that he really wanted over at Mayo Clinic. So then uh, Cruzen was then recruited and brought over to develop a similar program at Mayo. Yeah. So um, having spent four years at Mayo, I came to learn and revere the history of Mayo Clinic and learn about Will and Charlie Mayo, the sons of the original uh, uh, William Mayo uh, who established the Mayo Clinic. And the most intriguing thing about the two of them were that they were avid learners of things. And they would, when they would hear about something, they would travel to whatever country somebody was innovating and they would go there, they would learn it, they would bring it back to Rochester, Minnesota, and they would do it over and over again, uh, number one. Number two, they would seek out the brilliant minds, either locally or around, and urge them to come to Mayo Clinic to become part of this group practice. Um, it, it began, one of their first doctors they recruited was this Henry Plummer, who was a brilliant person who established the first medical record that could travel from doctor to doctor. Mayo Clinic, they had this elaborate tube system where if you travel from one building to the other, your record would be shot through this tube system to the other doctor. So that doctor would always have the notes from any of the other doctors that you saw when you came to Mayo Clinic. And now we have electronic medical record that I would say pales in comparison to what Henry Plummer did at Mayo Clinic. So, sorry. Yeah, and then continuing um, at Mayo, so then Cruzen established the first residency program in physical medicine at Mayo in 1936. Okay. Um, and then another physician that we should really be more aware of that I had actually not heard much about until I was doing a little bit more reading 
uh, was Dr. John Coulter. So, so just yeah. to interrupt you a little bit because of, you know we have my little personal uh, thing with this. So I was at Mayo Clinic and finishing my uh, fellowship, and I went to the library, and the Mayo Library was incredible, probably still is incredible. And when I went, there was a, a discard box, and in that discard box was a book called Physical Medicine um, by Cruzen, and it was stamped inside so somebody can verify, discard, yeah. and inside was a handwritten um, from 1941, right? Or was it- so yeah, 1941, so that is when, um, yeah, the first foundational textbook, Physical Medicine, was published, and that subsequently became Cru- the Cruzen's Handbook of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, but that 1941 book would be the original um, book from our field. Right. So it just goes to show you what even a big institution like Mayo Clinic thinks about <laughs> physical medicine <laughs> to some degree, right? Uh, that they had this foundational book, the original book that they put in the discard bin. And fortuitously, now I have it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably worth $2. No. Maybe it could be worth $100,000. Who knows? I uh, went on Amazon to try to find another oh, okay. one, actually. Yeah. Um, there's only one that I could possibly find, but that was only going for about 30 bucks. So I don't think they understood exactly the importance oh. of it. But for me, it's such a treasure yeah. just based upon, um, and there are some incredible pictures inside of it. It's a pretty big book. It talks about the history of our field up to that point, of physical medicine up to that point. And there are pictures of sunbathing patients and people getting electrical stimulation. And there's a picture of these giant um, metal baths, one that's labeled hot and one that's labeled cold with, a, with an underlying uh, header that says contrast baths, right? Mm-hmm. The original contrast baths of hot and cold. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. So that's actually a great... And established yeah. sort of the Midwest physical medicine beginning of our specialty, but it wasn't a recognized specialty. It wasn't a board specialty at this point. Correct. And so that's why we'll also go into Dr. John Coulter, who then ends up partnering with uh, Frank Frusen since they got to know each other from both being uh, relative leaders from where they were. So Dr. Coulter, kind of just like the book we were talking about, is also very, very overlooked. He was so overlooked that any resource I found to learn about him said that this is one of the most overlooked physicians. Yeah. And then I even looked to see what the Wikipedia page would have to say about him. And he literally doesn't have a Wikipedia page, no. even though he's foundational for our field. Yeah. The disambiguation page just didn't have him. So for Dr. John Coulter, so he was actually technically the first professor of physical medicine. Um, he began his medical and military career at the Army Hospital in Washington, D.C. So... He um, did actually have some training in the tropical medicine, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So he ended up going abroad. So he served in the U.S. Army from 1911 to 1920, where he was in charge of what was called the, quote, first overseas convalescent and rehabilitation hospital. So he went into France, where he was exposed to various rehabilitation methods aimed at restoring function to wounded soldiers with physical agents um, as well as exercise. And then he realized that he wanted to apply some of these practices to the civilian population. So he ends up joining with a physician, uh, a renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Paul Magnuson. What year is this now? And so um, this is around 1926. So this okay. is actually even before um, the 
uh, Cruzin's Department of Re- Rehabilitation at Temple Hospital. So in 1926, uh, Coulter and Magnuson developed an independent academic department at Northwestern University uh, and launched um, Northwestern's Physical Therapy School in 1927. And so they introduced the practice of physical therapy and occupational therapy into the treatment of industrial workers disabled by accidents and disease. And then just a little bit of background where I knew about Magnuson a little bit was that um, Magnuson actually eventually uh, founded the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, or RIC, which is where I trained for my residency, which has now been renamed the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. So anyway, both um, Cruzen and Coulter get together, and they want to help establish the field as much as they can. So we talked about Cruzen and Coulter. Um, should now talk about some of the beginnings for trying to form a more cohesive specialty yeah. um, with physical medicine, you know, eventually that rehabilitation aspect as well. So Cruzen, Coulter, and some other physiatrists um, started meeting in the annual meeting of what was called the American Congress of Physical Therapy, which eventually became the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine, or ACRM. Um, so Cruz and, and Coulter founded the American Society of Physical Therapy Physicians um, in 1938, then with uh, 40 charter members. At this time, membership in the society was limited to physicians with at least five years in full-time physical therapy practice and with a teaching appointment at a medical school or directorship or a department. So it was in 1938 that Cruzen first proposed the term physiatrist or physiatrist to identify physicians that had specialized in physical medicine. And so this group elected to have Dr. Coulter as the first president, and then uh, physician Walter Zeider, for the, um, who was a graduate of the Mayo Clinic residency program, to be the first executive director. So initially they had spoke, communicated with the American Board of Medical Specialties, so initially they had discussed with the American Board of Medical Specialties about potentially making physical medicine its own uh, branch of in, yeah, of uh, being its own specialty. So the American Board of, Med- of Medical Specialties recommended that physical medicine be an affiliate with um, internal medicine, but the American Board of Internal Medicine actually then declined. <laughs> So, another, yeah. another rejection. Yeah. So the American Board of Internal Medicine then suggested a separate board for certifying physical medicine uh, physicians. Okay. So now that we're talking about internal medicine, that then brings us to Dr. Howard Rusk, who is another uh, legend within the field. So Dr. Howard Rust is, Rusk is considered the founder of rehabilitation medicine. So he received his medical training at UPenn, then continued his training in St. Louis. He initially practiced internal medicine from 1926 to about 1942, uh, teaching at uh, WashU. He then eventually left practice to join the Air Force around World War II. So at the time, there were improvements in medical care, especially the use of antibiotics during World War II, which saved the lives of many wounded soldiers who were turned home disabled and needing rehabilitative care. So prior to this, a lot of the times, if you had infections or a lot of other things, it was more of a death sentence. But now we could actually get people to recover from some pretty horrific injuries, but then they would need rehab in order to get integrated back in society. So when um, Rusk 
uh, left his successful practice in St. Louis. He then joined the Jefferson Barracks in Missouri. So this was a thousand-bed hospital. He designed some simple activities to challenge soldiers, both, both physically and mentally, during their convalescence. And the program's success led the military to ask him to set up similar programs for the Army Air Corps. So there are estimates that Rusk's convalescent training program saved over 5 million man-hours during World War II and gave countless veterans with disabilities hope and a sense of purpose. So this was the first truly comprehensive rehabilitation approach, trying to address really all aspects of recovery. So this rehabilitation medicine utilized not just physical medicine approaches, but also multidisciplinary interventions and medications with the goal of restorations of a person's function. Rehabilitation teams treated patients both inpatient and in outpatient settings. So now this brings us to the Brooke Commission, which was actually um, fairly foundational within our field itself. So there was a man, Bernard Brooke. So he was a uh, financer and philanthropist who was an advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So his dad was actually a physician that served in the Civil War as a specialist in chronic diseases and who wrote extensively on hydrotherapy. So Bernard, this financer, um, he wanted his father's work advanced and was prepared to donate a large amount of money to encourage research and teaching within physical medicine itself. So he did want to make sure that his money was going to be appropriately spent. So then Bernard Brook ended up approaching Dr. Cruzen and some others to ensure that this money would be used wisely. So at the time, Cruzen was chairman at the Department of Physical Medicine at um, Mayo Clinic. And so this committee was formed in 1943, and they wrote that first report in 1944, which was actually very foundational because this defined physical medicine and defined rehabilitation as well, kind of getting things more cohesive under one umbrella. So at this point, physical medicine was defined as the employment of the physical and other effective properties of light, heat, cold, water, electricity, massage, manipulation, exercise, and mechanical devices for physical and occupational therapy. And rehabilitation was defined as the restoration of people handicapped by disease, injury, malformation, to as nearly as possible to a normal physical and mental state. So this committee had some pretty notable members in it. So there was Coulter, Cruzen, and then Rusk as well was also serving in a subcommittee as well. So this committee ends up in that first report in 1944, issuing recommendations for the establishment of PMMR teaching and research centers in medical schools, fellowships, and residency programs. Um, they also advocated for wartime and post-war clinical rehabilitation programs, and the committee strongly argued for, argued for the establishment of a certifying board for the new medical specialty for physical medicine and rehabilitation. So then in 1947, the American Board of Medical Specialties finally accepted a plan presented by Dr. Cruzen, Coulter, and Dr. Zyder for organizing and financing a separate board for physical medicine and rehabilitation. The American Board of Physical Medicine was established, and Cruzen was named as the first chairman. So that's 1947. Correct. That's when our specialty was officially established as a official board. 
Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so a lot of these um, physicians, especially Cruzen and um, Rusk, did continue to develop the field. And, for example, in 1945, so just prior to this, the Veterans Administration, so the VA hospital system, appointed Rusk as well as Cruzen as consultants to work in establishing rehabilitation services throughout the VA. And so in 1950, after um, PMNR was established, Rusk established the Institute of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation in New York, now the Rusk Institute at um, New York University. And so this became a major, pretty central center for research, training, and expanding rehabilitation medicine's role in treating many different medical and surgical conditions. And so Rusk made rehabilitation a household name and a pretty well-known word because he also ended up doing a lot of public speaking and weekly columns within the New York Times. So Rusk was actually fairly instrumental for getting rehabilitation itself out there and more widely accepted by society as a whole. Yeah. So very interesting, like in a lot of areas, this um, sort of mixture of different forces sort of coming together by the fates, if you will. Um, so you have the actual medical side of things. Um, you have all these people working on physical medicine things, modality things. Uh, you have the rehabilitative things. Then you have financial uh, influence on this, right? Because Baruch was a financier who had some maybe private motivations that kind of pushed this forward because if it wasn't for that financing, nothing would have occurred, right? Because already PM&R got pushed aside by internal medicine and the board probably wasn't going to be interested if this thing wasn't going to be uh, economically viable. Um, So you have that. And then you have the political thing where you have FDR who suffered from polio, who was very weakened in his lower extremities, did not want to manifest that at all. In fact, you, you really don't have any pictures of FDI publicly made sure and then his publicity team made sure that he was never seen as, quote unquote, you know, disabled or weakened. Um, but literally, it would take his him and his assistant an hour and a half to get dressed in the morning. And when he stood up at a podium, you know, there were these uh, elaborate knee, ankle, foot orthoses, hip, ankle, knee or orthoses to try to get him to uh, maintain any level of standing and walking. Um And then, you know, sometimes and then you also have the military involved with this, right? Because it was what can we do to rehabilitate mostly young men who are coming back, who previously were either placed in institutions or maybe never survived it, uh, but certainly um, often did not make, weren't able to return to society in terms of anything that was very functional. And then a lot of the same great uh, terminology that we use now was embedded in the original uh, words that were used by the founding fathers of our specialty, not dissimilar to the founding fathers of our country, that um, really still permeate or are valid even today, even though it was done so long ago. Um, So that mixture of things um, kind of explains maybe some things that maybe as a resident, uh, in PM&R, you don't really get. So you say, well, why do we go to Mayo Clinic every year to do our oral boards? <laughs> I mean, what 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 makes our specialty do that? Now, perhaps that's outdated, but if you understand where things came from, you understand where the, uh, the specialty came from, 
then at least you would say, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, cruising, Mayo Clinic, physical medicine, that's, you know, that's where our roots are. Then also almost every program is tied to a VA, right? So you, almost every program has their VA rotation. Why is that, right? So now you have an understanding of how rehabilitation became embedded and was a very important aspect um, in getting veterans and people returning from war back to activities. And even now, in my research, uh, my research comes through the Mirror Fund, uh, which is uh, supported by the Department of Defense to see what interventions we can do in our research to improve the lives of those in service and those, you know, uh, perhaps coming out of service to maintain their function as well. So really interesting things. At the same time, right about the same time, uh, an orthopedic surgeon named Henry Kessler uh, decides that, that we ought to be doing more and more for these young, mostly men again, uh disabled folks that have amputations, that have a variety of neurologic disorders. And so he creates the Kessler Institute in West Orange, which now is well known throughout the country, right? So yeah, that was our, in the, yeah, 1949. So that was the third rehabilitation center within the U.S. So that was also still very early on. Yeah. Um, and Kessler has a textbook that he wrote about his experience called The Knife is Not Enough. Um, which I think is very valid, uh, again, was previously valid and extremely valid even today, right? Meaning that just operating, just performing an amputation and then walking away is not enough, right? Just setting a bone in place is not enough. Just putting in rods is not enough. And I think in the world that we live in now, um, we still are doing lots of operations and though it is not quite enough, even a simple surgery like an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction isn't going to go well unless it's properly rehabilitated. Um, and in, in my presentations, I've substituted the knife is not enough with the 22-gauge needle is not enough. And we must not forget that, that we often in our specialty now have drifted into other things that are not as thoughtful as our founding father looking at all the different ways to rehabilitate and treat patients. But instead, we think about doing a transforaminal epidural injection or radiofrequency ablation, all these procedural things that may be helpful and may have some benefit, but are not enough, right? They don't treat the entire um, mind, body, spirit of somebody that's suffering from a disorder. Yeah, and I like um, especially mentioning with uh, Kessler and realizing, you know, the knife is not enough. Since he realized that, that's actually some underpinnings for the Kessler Institute held a semi-annual conference actually on amputees. So there was the semi-annual congenital amputee clinic and conference that was very early on started by uh, the Kessler Institute. Yeah. A lot of their work and his work was done on upper and lower extremity amputees uh, and getting them to become functional and return to society. And they, then they started a variety of um, vocational rehabilitation programs throughout the state of New Jersey that are somewhat in existence but have come and gone um, to try to not only get them to do day-to-day things but get them work and get them into the workforce, which is invaluable. Invaluable to our society but invaluable to most humans, human beings who, you know, being uh, – 
uh, working and, and being part of the workforce and, and providing um, provides meaning to your life, right? So, all right. Do we have anything else in, in your historical background? Yeah. Things? Uh, that was um, kind of an overview for at least getting to where we are for yeah. the field of PMNR itself. I think a great topic for another time would be the origins of sports medicine within uh, as a sub-branch of physical medicine and rehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we can look at how the field then move forward into various other things, such as electrodiagnostic testing, the... Um, foundational things of uh, now that we feel so novel and somewhat maybe doesn't belong to our specialty, like musculoskeletal ultrasound, uh, which is uh, the AIUM, the American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine, was formed by physiatry, by PM&R. So it is in our roots. Um, and then spine care and non-operative spine care. Uh, and then this evolution of spinal injection procedures, which um, increased and provided more of a pathway for uh, PM&R to be involved uh, to a greater extent, but perhaps went down a wrong path in my mind, um, being too myopic. And then uh, the area of sports medicine, which was felt to belong to the orthopedic surgeons for some reason, um, but now has become more of a broader area that is clearly more than orthopedic surgery, primary care, and in my mind, how physical medicine and rehabilitation is actually the perfect specialty to take care of sports medicine type uh, conditions. 